Welcome to iForo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 85 of iForo. I'm uh, joined today by the illustrious Irvin. Oh, How's it going? illustrious. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that introduction. Yeah, I like to come in and go straight for the compliments. It's going great. <laughs> Good to be on the show. Yeah. Um, stories. It's been a little bit since we last did this. Yeah. Um, a lot of changes coming through the pipeline, so a lot of that requires some extra work. So thank you to all of the listeners who are bearing with us in this process, but there is a lot of good things in store for 2019. I promise you that. So um, just kind of bear with us and... Uh, if if anything crazy starts to happen, just keep an eye on the Twitter and, and we'll let you know if anything's going on. But I did want to get that out of the way just because I felt like we've been kind of doing our listeners a disservice by being fairly quiet just because of yeah. the amount of stuff we've been doing. But um, changes will happen, so I think it's all going to be worth it in the end. Um, but... Um, Talk some tech. No, well, there's one thing I wanted to talk about before we got into this, and that was the, the little section I put in for the free talk about the Verge. Yeah. Did you see? Like, I thought we were done with the story, but the Verge obviously didn't think we were done with the story, and they decided that they were gonna start copyright striking a bunch of tech YouTubers who had done open criticisms on that uh, PC build, that infamous PC build video that they did a while ago. Yeah, um, that was. Who were clearly using their content as um, um, fair use. Fair use. That's the word. Yeah. I, like, I blank for a second. Fringe. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> no, it's fine. That, that's that's not a term that I think about that often. But no, I don't. Yeah, but um, yeah, they did this under the guise of um, what was it? They they were saying that these reviewers. So for anybody who doesn't know. Um, I should probably start there. I should probably walk back to where this all began. But um, back in September of last year, The Verge, um, who does a large number of articles that we reference on the show, um, unironically enough, none of the articles today are from The Verge. Um, that's not a coincidence, I promise. But um, they had a PC build video which came out in September. And... That video featured a large number of mistakes. I think that's being generous when I say large number of mistakes. And um, potentially mistakes that could damage uh, yeah. your hardware if you followed them yeah. and kill your components. He's very lucky that he came out on the other side of that with a working PC. Yeah, but if someone was following that and they were, that's the first time they were building a PC... Yeah, uh, could have ended uh, badly. Yeah, he used like probably so just to name a few errors he did. Uh, he used the wrong length screws to secure his motherboard and components down, which risks sending a screw through another component. He um, he mentioned the use of a. This is all off the top of my head, just because of how glaring these mistakes were. He he mentioned the use of a anti-static bracelet, which is a good idea in any situation so an anti-static bracelet for people who aren't aware is literally just a, a bracelet that connects to a ground so that way you can't transfer any static onto the um onto the silicon that you're working with because you can short a motherboard if you have static electricity and you touch one of these components um 
But instead of using an actual anti-static band, the mistake he made was using a Livestrong band. <laughs> and yeah, you uh, just put that on the same thing. It's not actually connected to the ground where yeah. he was like, "Oh, you got to put on this anti-static band." Unrelated puts on a Livestrong band. It's like, don't mind this. This is separate from that. This is just good advice for you. Um, he called zip ties tweezers. Yeah, he he also mentioned the importance of zip ties, but refused to cable manage at all um, to tie down. And the, the reason why you need zip ties to like tie down your cables to make it look nice when you're done. Um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. You just have to have them nearby. That's all you need for a PC build. Um, and then on top of that, um, he one of my favorite mistakes that he made was the was the he used almost the whole bottle of um, thermal paste. But there's one part of that. There's already been thermal paste on the right. water cooler. <laughs> yeah. So he was just doubling <laughs> down. Hey, it can hurt. Yeah. More the better. Yeah. Right? You, you need to make sure. And also, like, you never know what happens if. His like, PC really cool, really efficient. Yeah. That was his goal. Yeah. He took the term water cooling a little too seriously, kind of spraying the fluid everywhere. So, okay. But yeah. So. That happened in September. Uh, everybody did their hot takes on it. We reported on it, I, I think. And yeah. then come uh, like last week, uh, The Verge starts copyright striking a lot of these tech YouTubers who were publishing videos about that particular event. And they were featuring footage of the event. Just like, like one of them was a reaction video. So it was him overlaid the video reacting to the build as it happened and the verge was saying that they were alleging that he was using the entire video they were they they, they had the videos taken down via copyright strike the copyright strike alleged that the videos were completely duplicated and published again with no changes to the original edit um and they even cited racism as well uh like, mm, like a yeah. like a racist, racist tone. Character, yeah. tone character that they used um so bit with kyle who who made who got the copyright strike has this alternative uh character called uh lyle mm -hmm. uh, which has a thick asian accent um he's asian so yeah. he has more than the right <laughs> to be as stereotypical as possible against that race yes he is that race and not only that the 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 guy who was doing the original verge build is african-american but at the same time there was nothing that i saw in that video that was yeah. even remotely racist towards any race let alone his like either of the viewing party's own races right. so like from from that perspective i I think that was more of just a, an extra icing on the cake to make this seem a little bit more of like a victim story instead of actually addressing that they made a mistake and take the video down, which they did. They did, they did take this video down, um, but they never officially came out and said, oh, we made some mistakes here. Um, don't follow the guide if you saw it. Or like, or they never even turned around and made a proper video on how to build a PC. Yeah. What they did was they just took the article that that video was associated with and just heavily modified it so the information was correct, and l called it a day, and then just started copyright striking people. So that's why I wanted to bring it up again because if they're gonna, 
um, start trying to wave the ban hammer around a little too hard and try to knock out tech YouTubers who are offering critiques of something that I think is actually a dangerous video when it comes to looking for, for people looking to build a PC and they see The Verge, they may be like, oh, okay, I'll, The Verge is a trusted source in technology, I'll use their video. But I would argue not to do that. I would say look for another YouTuber if you're looking to build a PC and you want a video of it because of this whole thing. And if The Verge is going to bring this back up by copyright striking people again, then we're going to bring it up by making fun of it again. <laughs> so <laughs> I and, felt- and This whole YouTube copyright strike Thing has been a huge issue because it's so easy yeah. uh, for videos to get um, uh, stricken with this uh, flag within uh, the system and YouTube just like, okay, we'll just take it down. That's fine. And then not until people start uproaring about it, getting getting you know tweets and everything out to uh, YouTube, that's when they was like, oh, wait, never mind. Yeah, you're right. This is fair use. We will, we'll, we'll put it back up. But this whole ordeal, it's been a huge issue. Uh, within the YouTuber community. They actually did an update on February 9th. Um, YouTube has updated their strike system um, uh, within their platform. Uh, some are related to some of the recent happenings, but some of them passed as well. Uh, so now they are... Uh, the first strike won't automatically like um, um, uh, hurt you right away, right? right? Um, it'll be a warning system, so you get a warning. It's a strike. Uh, uh, no, it's not. It does not count as a strike. So your first copyright or infringement sort of thing is a warning. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, you won't actually get a strike um, uh, after that warning if you keep doing it um, or you keep getting flagged for it for I think ninety days. Um, then you'll get then the first the three strike rule will start. Uh, um, being in effect. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, the first strike uh, it, uh, states that uh, your channel will be frozen for one week. Users won't be able to upload or stream any new content on YouTube to YouTube. Uh, it will expire in 90, after 90 days. The second strike, uh, if you strike enough, if you get a second strike within that 90-day period, um, it will result in two-week upload freeze. And then uh, in the third strike, within that same 90-day period, uh, YouTube will shut down your channel. Good. And especially because some of these YouTubers, like, they make their living on YouTube. So, like, that's literally a hit against their livelihood because somebody can't own up to their own mistakes. And this isn't related to the company's uh, copyright strikes. This is more of the community guidelines strike. So Yeah, this is just YouTube in general. Out. Yeah, so you can, like, someone can flag a, a video as inappropriate, um, right? Um, yep. And it'll automatically, the system will automatically um, flag it or get a strike against the system. So now the, the uh, uploaders of that video will just get a warning. Uh, but the, yeah. the copyright strike, which is the Verge article, what we're talking about has not changed. If we ever brought back a series, I would want to bring the ifro explains series back and do yeah. like a bit of a deeper dive on the whole youtube copyright system because it is like the, the further you dig the shadier it gets and the more that you can see that big act like large actors have the ability to influence those kind those types of things and right um it's really disturbing especially when like like i mentioned a few minutes ago some people literally make their living on this website 
and the fact that a, a service can just take their video down for something that they even shows up for like a second like it, it even got as bad as like children's birthday party videos were being copyright striked because of a song that was played in the background or a clip of a song or something that was heard like it, it's it's getting out of hand you know the, the youtuber mr beast yeah yeah, so he had a video recently who went through this, uh, got copyright strike, and in the copyright strike, it says this timestamp. I was like, when, what portion of the video was was uh, mm-hmm. uh, was hit by copyright strike? He goes to that the exact time code of that video. It's them humming really badly a song. <laughs> oh my <Humming>. god. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Humming the beats. No words, and it was really bad. <laughs> like, yeah. It was- five guys just humming a song for like 10 <laughs> seconds that's dumb and you can tell that it wasn't by the automated system it wasn't by content id because someone found it it was like ai within the system that you know scans all the content yeah because uh, pretty much impossible uh to scan everything i think there's like 400 hours of content uploaded to youtube every second something, something like, like that yeah uh, it's it's physically impossible for physically even a team of people to manage yeah let alone so, one you need some some computer automation, but um, can you imagine if somebody had to sit and watch every YouTube video that ever gets published and decides what gets to get taken down and what doesn't? The you amount of for YouTube, the amount honest. of filth that that person must have to sift through in order to like, like just to go through their daily like the daily runnings of their of their whole job. That would be a terrible job. I would not envy that person at all. um but we do have actual news that i do want to get into um the youtube copyright strike system is a rabbit hole that we can get into and um i I think it's something that we should thoroughly avoid and chad is right youtube is very sketchy um when it comes to its its ability to take videos down and decide what it wants to do when and how um but you know what else is sketchy Nice little transition into the actual news. Um, do you? Uh, I feel like you may be better equipped to talk about this one, but I do want to bring it the in. Word Tesla's mentioned because the word the word Tesla is mentioned. Um, yeah. One of the source articles is The Verge, and um, for inside the post. So what we have is just a. I was actually browsing the tech news section of the Linus Tech Tips uh, forums, and that is like a solid source for like good information and like very um very good like consolidated postings and and like a nice discussion around it like it's it's a pretty good website when it comes to that um but so an article that I, an article that I saw a couple of them that were mentioned in this forum post um is talking about the Tesla founded company OpenAI refusing to release um a text generating AI system due to how convincing it is um do you did you happen to do any research into this or do you want me yeah, to yeah I, I watched a couple of things on it i watched <laughs> i watched the uh steve gibson our our good uh source for uh uh all things tech really mainly, mainly security he did yeah. a little uh, review on it on security now uh but yeah so this this company OpenAI, um wasn't founded by tesla but part part founded by elon musk uh what he's now no, no longer part of the company. He had mm-hmm. to leave. 
um, mainly, he said on Twitter, um, one of the reasons was, um, one, um, there's deep a, one of the caveats of open AI is you have to share everything you come up with, mm-hmm. uh, right? Otherwise, um, it's not open. Right. <laughs> Defeats the purpose of the name. Yeah. Uh, so uh, anything that Tesla created in terms of AI uh, would need to be disclosed within since, since Elon's a part owner of op- open AI. Uh, so he didn't want to do that because that's all proprietary information. Uh, all their self-driving AI tech that they're currently working on in Hush Hush. Um, and also the, the direction that the company was going wasn't uh, what he wanted. Um, so he's no longer part of it, but although every single headline still uses Elon Musk as a picture and the title, uh, yeah. because clickbait. Um, anyway, it gets clicks. Just, just wanted to get off, off my chest. That's fine. Journalist, do your research. Before you <laughs> this AI could probably do your job better. Right. Probably. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it's <laughs> no, fine. It's fine. I like. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, mini rant over. Yeah. Um, so the OpenAI has created a, a text generator based. It looks at um, uh, you give them give it some sample text and it will spit something back related to that topic. Um, and according to them, it's uh, um, too good, <laughs> <laughs> too good for its own goods. Uh, so too good for for for. Uh, humans to actually for people to actually experience because you yeah. can't it's indiscernible from um an actual human writing something it's really been, it's been dubbed topic. dubbed deep fakes for text um yeah that's scary because they so for example um the this forum goes to mention that uh feeding it the opening line of george orwell's 1984 a very appropriate book for something like this um the the line says it was a bright cold day in april and the clocks were striking 13 and the system recognizes this vaguely futuristic tone in the novelistic style and continues with this is all generated from the ai i was in the car on my way to a new job in seattle i put the gas in put the key in and then let it run just imagined what the day would be like a hundred years from now in 2045, I was a teacher in some school in a poor part of rural China. I started with Chinese history and a history of science. Like, what? <laughs> it says, feed it a few paragraphs of, uh, of a Guardian story about Brexit. Output, output is plausible. Uh, newspaper prose uh, with quotes uh, from... Uh, Jeremy Corbyn mentions... mentions of the Irish border and answers from the Prime Minister's spokesman. It's so weird. Uh, <laughs> it was trained on a data set containing about 10 million articles. The vast collection of ticks weighed about 40 gigabytes um, and about 35,000 copies of Moby Dick. Why? Wait, why don't you just need one copy? Yeah, why would it need 35,000 copies of Moby Dick? Um... Well, the amount of data directly affected by its quality, giving it more knowledge of how to understand written text, which led to the second breakthrough, which is uh, it's far more general purpose than previous text models. Um, so that's why um, it's that's why they're having a little bit of a, a pause when it comes to whether they should deploy this or publish this technology or not, um, because it assesses um, what malicious users might be able to do with it um and it says one version of it with a few modest tweaks can be used to generate infinite positive or negative reviews of products spam and fake news are two other obvious potential downsides 
Um, but that is insane. Like thousands of fake reviews for products. And that's something like I hadn't even thought of before as like a potential issue for an AI system. Um, but <laughs> this Miley Cyrus one, <laughs> <laughs> you want to read it? Yeah. So the, the, pro, pro, the input to the system was Miley Cyrus caught, was caught shoplift, shoplifting from, uh, Abercrombie and Fitch on Hollywood Boulevard today. Um, and the output of the system was the 19-year-old singer was caught on camera being escorted out of a store by security guards. The singer was wearing a black hoodie with the label Blurred Lines on the front of <laughs> and the fashion placed on the back. Scroll down for a video. Oh, my God. Shoplifting. Uh, my guitar was called shoplifting, shoplifting from Abercrombie and Fitch. Uh, picture, the singer was wearing... Yeah, so... Um, so... It's a matter of time before back, apparently recording too. That's insane. Um, it's a matter of time before this technology becomes open and available to the public, yeah, whether it's through open AI or through a different source. Um, so this is the future that we're going to have to get ready for. Regardless, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, because <laughs> with the the advent of defakes, which is really to video and also now uh, defakes of of text. Uh, you can pretty, pretty much create any story. And the way that people consume stories uh, now on the internet, right, they pretty much, well, not pretty much, but a lot of people just believe whatever they hear or list see, yep. uh, especially if they get their main source from, uh, main, main news sources from Facebook or people who self-post on Facebook. Um, and it's really hard to, you know, discern because they're getting really good. Yeah. Um, and we need sort of better education in terms of how to be more critical when you're looking at um, a news story. Don't automatically assume just because it's coming from uh, the internet. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Can you imagine if something like this was deployed on Twitter or like deployed on Facebook for news articles or deployed by like a foreign state to generate a massive amount of fake news pointing at one particular event to make it seem like there's this massive breaking news story that's happening mm-hmm. in this one region um, about something in particular it's happening even though it's completely it's a, it's a deep fake at like on a global scale and i um i support open ai's movement to, to take this back and discuss the ramifications of of publishing this kind of technology because that's very scary um i don't know how else one could even mention that but it's definitely something that's like food for thought and could do a whole episode on that one too there's a lot of really good articles in here that's one of the benefits to not having a show for a week and a half is that tech piles up stuff starts to stack get to weed out all the crap yeah Talk about fluff. Yeah, we don't have to have any filler articles. That's all fun stuff. Um, so I do want to jump into another topic just because we do have a, a lot of stuff that has to be talked about today in a reasonable amount of time. But um, there, this, this one's a fun article. We don't have to go very deep into it. But um, there was a lawsuit filed for insider trading against Apple's lawyer who was supposed to prevent employees from insider trading. So Apple did an oopsie today. Um, just like the, not today, uh, did an oopsie, just like the verge, um, 
this article was published on the 13th of February. Um, Jean Levoff, senior director of corporate law and corporate secretary until September, traded on material non-public information about Apple's earnings three times during 2015 and 2016. Um, before his termination, he was responsible for Apple's compliance with securities laws, and on more than one occasion, he disobeyed the company's blackout period for stock transactions, selling or buying stock worth tens of millions of dollars. So, that guy's in trouble. <laughs> and I find the fact... Who's the one who's supposed to be <laughs> following or knowing all the laws and, and make sure everyone follows them? Like, you were supposed to be the chosen one. You were the one to help us. Yeah. Not yeah. join them. That's funny. Just picturing that Star Wars scene at the very end with Obi-Wan talking to Anakin. The irony. Is yeah. Kinda... Yeah. Well, he does not have the high ground anymore, so he's going to jail. <laughs> I think that guy is going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, I'm trying to look at the... They're charging him with one count of securities fraud, and he's set to appear in court. Um, so they're now he has a lawyer to be a lawyer for the lawyer. So this lawyer has a lawyer in this case where he was a lawyer for Apple, helping out them by being their lawyer. So fun story. <laughs> I want to move into the next one though, just to yeah. kind of keep this gravy train rolling. But um, another sad story. Um, opportunity has gone dark and um, just like we've done a tribute to most relatively famous people in tech and science I did want to just talk briefly about opportunity um, I want to take this opportunity to talk about opportunity <laughs> um, they it had sent its final data uplink to the rover on Mars and over this connection um, via the deep space network the American jazz singer Billie Holiday crooned I'll Be Seeing You. And they sent it. This is like genuinely like one of the most depressing things that I've read in a long time. They sent it the lyrics saying, I'll find you in the morning sun. And when the night is new, I'll be looking at the moon, but I'll be seeing you. And they waited to hear some kind of a response from the rover, which has been engulfed in a huge globe-wide dust storm since last june um they sent a bunch of commands hoping it would wake up from its long slumber and maybe the winds of mars may have blown some of the dust off so it can regain power and there was no response at all and eventually they it came to the point where they got like the final message saying like it's getting dark and my batteries are low and that was the last time that they heard from it. It's like genuinely, that, it's like a sad love story. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like a uh, boss way to go out too. I know. That line. I know. That or just like some canned message that just happened to be so poetic at the end. I think it is probably <laughs> some, like knowing the way that people have been approaching like like programming errors and like you know like the error message where like you go to a website and like something breaks and it's like oops we something happened and we don't know how to fix it it's like and then you get like some like help code link instead yeah. of like actually getting what the error is you get yeah. some like useless thing or like windows when it blue screens you get a frowny face emoji 
<laughs> like, come on. Tell me what's wrong with the computer. But um, I'm going to go ahead and say it's going off of that era of software development and is some canned, like, really depressed uh, Software response. engineer was having a little fun. Um, yeah. 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 Sad to see it uh, go, but it did uh, overachieve. Yeah. Uh, uh, stated welcome on Mars. Well, it's still there. It didn't leave. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> the, the mission uh, was a lot longer. Um, it landed back in 2004. Um, and I think I forget how long. Um... It, um, so it traveled 45 kilometers, um, which is the long, it's a distance unmatched by any rover on any surface outside of planet earth um in 2016 when it was climbing a hill its tilt reached 32 degrees which is the steepest climb ever for any rover on mars so this thing was just on mars just setting records left and right and um it's they were saying so when the dust storm originally engulfed it they were hopeful that it might recover um even then its batteries have retained 85 percent of their original capacity I'm reading this. So it was launched back in 2004. The yeah. original life expectancy was 90 days. Yeah. <laughs> Just 90. And then yeah. and, it, and it lasted 15 years. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that rover offer, er, provided scientists with a large amount of very invaluable data. So I'm yeah. um, very happy about that. Um. So yeah, I wanted to talk about that just briefly, but um, a couple other interesting stories. Uh, you can now run Windows 10 on a Raspberry Pi 3, so that's exciting news. Uh, I don't know if anybody who listens is into the modding community or in the DIY space, but um, people have now gotten the latest and greatest Windows operating system to run on a Pi 3. It's probably not going to be a great experience. Like it's not gonna like this isn't gonna be like an incredibly powerful Windows operating system by any stretch of the or a powerful computer by any stretch of the imagination. It's not gonna be the next gaming rig or anything. Um, but it does have a headphone jack. First off, second off, um, it is something that is like I think they've been like working really hard on this to get it stable um, for the past few years. Um, but once like this is kind of a nice baseline for future hardware because I think that once um, these once the Pi uh, hardware begins to catch up with what the software is capable of, I think that um, this piece of silicon is bo- is poised to be like a very powerful DIY software, especially when you can literally put anything on it now. I think Windows yeah. was like the last thing that you couldn't get running on this. Um, they got me Android running on it. I wouldn't be surprised. It's open source. If you can get Android to run on a Windows phone, you can get Android to run on this, probably. Yep, they do have uh, Android running on it. Okay, yeah, so this might this might very well be the last operating system that they were able to get running on this, but um, I just thought it was a really cool article because I, I had done a substantial amount of, like, just fooling around with a Raspberry Pi, and um, it's a super useful board. It's dirt cheap to pick up. You can get one of them for, like, 15 bucks, 25 bucks. If you want, if it's like twenty five, if you want the Wi Fi one, but um, not everybody needs Wi Fi on their chip or on their Pi. If you're just using it for something basic, or if you're plugging an Ethernet cable into it or whatever, but 
Um, it's a great board for anybody who's looking to automate things or do any kind of DIY work. Um, if you want to get some experience in soldering and building some more advanced electronics, a Raspberry Pi is a great brain for any of those projects. Yeah. Um, so it's one of the most versatile uh, boards on the market yeah. when it comes to put in that thirty-five dollars package. Yeah, yeah thirty-five. Think. That's it. Twenty-five if you don't get Wi-Fi. Um, but yeah, it's like it's it's almost like if you go to certain stores, you can only get like one at a time because they're pretty popular. You them, uh, have them, everybody snatch it up. Yeah, it'd be really hard to get them if you couldn't. Yeah. So because um, they're so convenient, you just buy. Thousands at a time. <laughs> you can go to. Uh, I think I have one just laying in my drawer somewhere. I don't know where it is, but um, have one just like I have two laying around. <laughs> like you can go to. It's it's one of those things that's like so easy. You could accidentally buy one. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah, I could use this. <laughs> um, but yeah. So now that it runs Windows 10, once that hardware starts to catch up, especially because I think there are. Um, I don't. Are there rumors of a Pi Four? I haven't heard anything, okay. or I don't keep up with that community that much. But yeah. um, it's been running for quite a long time. I forget when the Pi Three came out. Um, yeah. They did uh, iterations fairly quickly: the first Pi, and the second Pi, and the third Pi. Yeah, and then they did the Pi Zero, which was a really tiny one. Uh, but there are some alternatives out there. Um, alternative types of mini boards uh, that um, have like bigger processors and stuff, but. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Now this is awesome. I'm super stoked about this, and maybe I'll try to put it on my Pi Three and see if I can see how it runs, see if it's anything remotely stable enough. Um, so now that the hiking, uh, hiking. <laughs> I don't know why I have hiking on the mind. Uh, the hacking community or the the Tinker community got Windows 10 running uh, on uh, the Raspberry Pi. Um, you know what Amazon couldn't get running in New York City? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> oh open. my god. <laughs> that was such a good segue. I'm proud of that one. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, so on pulled out on uh February 15th. Um good day to pick to pull out, you know. Right after um, Valentine's Day. <laughs> on Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, Irvin. Yes. What a day. So on, on February 14th, <laughs> I got the news. Um, Dude, on, I can't even. They're, they're canceling <laughs> plans to build uh, the, I guess, the second part of their HQ2 because they don't really pick one place. They pick two places, but whatever. The, yeah. So they're, they're no longer uh, launching within New York City. Um, it's uh, mainly from all the backlash that they got from the community. A lot of lawmakers, um, you know, weren't supporting um, uh, this move, uh, even though the, the you know, Amazon is telling that it's bringing all these jobs. Um, it's a lot of high-tech paying jobs, and, and yeah. the neighborhood that it's necessarily going to isn't really benefiting um, every, anyone who's currently living there. Yeah, you can um, you can look at this from, like, a few different angles yeah. and each one is valid. Like, sure. It's going to be great for the economy, but sure. It's going to drive up the cost of living. And also the, yeah, like you're saying, the jobs are all high skill, even though they're kind of not being very upfront about that. 
which implies that they're trying to slip under people's noses with that um, by thinking, oh, jobs, that obviously means anybody can work for Amazon, but it's actually just going to be college students that I think Amazon has even relatively publicly stated that they're going to be probably bringing and sourcing from out of state, which means high paying rent. Um, And also you're seeing a lot of towns um, try to, they're actively trying to avoid what is currently happening to San Francisco in some ways um, where the city, what has happened to Seattle. Yeah. Because a lot of people are saying that those two cities lost their identities when they brought in this massive amount of highly paid skilled employees of a very limited demographic, mostly male, mostly white. Um, and the, like the culture and the society has just kind of faded away in those cities and they they don't want that to happen in New York. So I can, I can see both sides of it. Um, I can see that this would be very, beneficial to the economy of the area overall but at the same time it's something that i don't know if it's worth the trouble if that makes sense <clears throat> so yeah they, and uh, and also it doesn't help that the um that the government of new york was doing this under the guise of a ton of subsidies yeah, a lot of tax breaks. Um, and of course, you know, the, the, these companies don't just get a bad check from the government. Um, they receive this money over time, but still, it's 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 still the, the, the same money which could be used to improve yep. uh, public infrastructure, schools, whatever it might be. Uh, it's rather now being spent um, on the company who whose owner is the richest person in the world. So. And there's no attempt to, there's no message from Amazon saying, okay, yes, but you are going to get this money back over X number of years through XYZ projects or XYZ plans. Like, I feel like that if a city is going to be willing to throw this many government incentives, um, nearly $3 billion in government incentives at a, at a company, especially like you're saying, one owned by the richest man on the face of the planet, then they should probably have some kind of a a meet in the middle type thing where it's like okay we'll give you these subsidies but you got to help us out you got to give back to the community in some way um and amazon does do that in seattle don't get me wrong um like they but it's it some people view it as misguided um like the attempts that they do they a lot of their like give back to the community projects or like parks that they build or whatever goes into what could be a lot of very highly valuable real estate and takes away from that ability. But um, it needs to be give and take. There needs to be two sides to this. And I think that's something that Amazon has failed to see over the course of the last, since they've been in Seattle. Um, But yeah, so this, this to me, like this whole story to me kind of seems like Amazon's just taking their toys and going home. Like they don't, they don't want to play. And they didn't even announce a, a backup plan, right? They're nope. not even doing uh, this office. They're just going to focus on their Virginia slash DC office that they announced. Um, and that's what they're going forward with. Um, yeah. Now I don't want them in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to play like this. Yeah. And they're, they're like the, the spoiled brat kid. This whole like spectacle out of the entire thing trying to get this new hq2 this competition all these uh you know um uh co- 
companies. Um, all these cities came forth and saying all of, offering them all these incentives. And I think they learned a lot from those, you know, all the information that they gathered from all these cities that I'm sure they signed NDAs and, and learned all this information. So mm-hmm. uh, they, they got something out of it. Not cool. to mention, they also learned what cities are willing to do to get Amazon there. Yeah. Like the lengths that some cities were willing to go to bring Amazon into their neighborhood was in some cases extreme. Like it even got to the point where we were going through the list of like pitch videos that they were doing. And a lot of them were like, come to us lot. Look at all this fun stuff happening. We're, we're having a great time over here and hanging out and it's all fun. Don't worry about us. And we'll just throw money at you and, and all that business. But, um, I just think it's like, I'm kind of happy that they're not going to New York anymore because of the spectacle that Amazon put, like the show that they put on, both in terms of like us seeing their true colors as well as like um, just like the fervor that's happened around this whole thing. Like it was weirdly heated between politicians. Like it got, it was like weirdly divisive. Um, and just to go off of the whole spectacle of the entire thing, trying to find this new um, headquarters, uh, Google um, announced uh, recently um, that they're investing, I think, $21 billion um, in uh, expanding their infrastructure all throughout the U.S., and they just announced um, uh, I was trying to find the article. Um, all throughout uh, the country, um, and there's no big fuss about it. There's like, here, we're investing $21 billion in, in, in real estate this year, in 2019. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and there's, there's nothing being published about it. They're not making a big show of it. No, they just published an article on, on their internal, whatever, you know, public Google blog, um, and that's it. That, that's all the fuss there was. It's like, here's all the, uh, uh, yeah, some of them are offices. Some of them are data centers. And, you know, the data centers don't break that many jobs with them because pretty much everything's controlled uh, through servers and automated. But um, all, some of them are office buildings with uh, uh, thousands of people working in there. And, and that's going to be bringing jobs. And again, no big fuss. Just like, here, yeah, we're investing $21 billion this year in real estate. You see, that's how it's done. Yeah, that's how you do it. You just quietly do it. I think Amazon was specifically trying to fish for these incentives. They were trying to see what the best package was for the area, and I think that's the reason why. And they got in on some relatively interesting things. Like there, there is still, um, there's still a bit of um. A clapback in DC as well. People aren't very happy about what what they're seeing happen in New York, so I don't know what really to say in terms of that. But just it's all a little sketchy to me. Yeah, yeah. and just correct myself. It's thirteen billion, not twenty one. No. Um, I mean, so. still, that's a lot. That's <laughs> a, a lot. That's a lot of uh, money. Yeah, uh, a lot of it is uh, uh, a lot of Midwest. Um, yeah. We can we can link to the article on the Google one. Yeah. Um, we want to see if they're expanding near you. Okay. Now, um, the reason why we waited until today. Oh yeah, that's the reason. <laughs> yeah, 
obviously. Um, <laughs> not the technical difficulties that happened before, not anything else. Um, yes, the Samsung event, obviously. But um, all technical issues aside, um, before the show, that was fun. Um, the Samsung event happened today. Yeah. The we both were providing commentary on the live stream. Um, the Samsung event was I, I'm happy to report just as cringy as it's ever been, if not more in some cases. I spoke I spoke way too soon when we were going back and forth on um, Slack and we were talking to each other. I was so I was like making comments to Irvin about. Um, about how I was like, oh wow, this is like one of the less cringy Samsung events that I've ever seen. And then almost like clockwork, as I said that, they just go straight into full cringe. And some of the most painfully awkward scenes and things I've ever seen, like the most painfully awkward sequences all happened one right after another, right after another. And it was rough. <laughs> um, for those people who are... Um, for those people who are new to the Samsung experience when it comes to their product uh, demos and their um, keynotes, Apple is very refined and professional about it. Google is very like whimsical and tech oriented and they're like they're like Apple but with a little more like flair to it. And Samsung is over in the corner. Um and it's just awkward. Like they, my favorite piece of that was like the they were doing the selfie to showcase the wide angle camera, and they took the selfie with the CEO, and then like barging out of left stage comes the uh, lady to talk about the, the Galaxy Buds, and she's like, "Wow, epic selfie, guys!" <laughs> it's just like, "Oh my god." It's so fake, like it's so forced. The entire thing is scripted. Nothing they had the th my favorite was another part was they had the three guys for the three different phones, because um, they they unveiled the Galaxy S E S ten E, the S ten, and then the S ten plus, kind of like the ten R, the or kind of like the ten R, the ten S, and the ten S Max, um, the same kind of format for phones. Um, but they were like, oh, Jim, what's your favorite phone of the bunch? And he was like, I like the Galaxy S10e because it is both affordable and offers no compromises at the same time in terms of what it offers to me as a consumer because I'm this is unscripted. And then the other guy was like, he's like, okay, Frank, which one's your favorite? He's like, well, let me tell you, I like the S10 because it sits right in the middle between too big and the same form factor of the compact phone but i get all that extra screen real estate and boy those cameras are good aren't they and i'm just like like you said it just felt forced like it's so awkward it's so painful but it's so hilarious all the same um just because of like every time someone like walked off stage the same type of music from the oscars if someone's talking too long kicks in and like they have to like like basically they're playing people in and out, and we were talking that we were trying to figure out if it's someone's job just to play music when someone is walking on or off stage. Um, well, I guess we should probably talk about the phones, right? Um, <laughs> instead of this awkward event. Should we start off with the 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 one they started off with, or Let's, leave that till the end? Yeah, we can go in order of the event if you All want. Right. Um, just because that was the least awkward part of the event. <laughs> yeah, so Samsung dove right in. 
uh, to uh, the foldable uh, phone. Um, that's what they started the event out with. Yep. Um, uh, so we saw a preview of it. I forget what Samsung event in this, you know, it was in the shadow, whatever. This guy opened this thing and it looked uh, like people got like close up photos of it and looked like super bulky and super um, boxy. And then later Samsung came out and they're like, oh no, it's like in this protective case. It's not that final form factor. So now we actually see, get to see the final this form. This isn't even my final form. <laughs> uh, the name of the phone is uh, Galaxy Fold. Yep. Um, uh, straightforward. You know exactly what you're getting. Um, and to be honest, it looks pretty slick in terms of the design. It's way better than any other folding phone that I have seen uh, previously. It's the first like flagship tier foldable device. Right. Which I think is what a lot of people were waiting for to see, like a, a foldable phone with as much attention to detail as a flagship device. I'm still kind of skeptical on the entire usability and why people even need a foldable phone. But also, I this think- uh, this this one phrase sounds to me like it is the largest collection of buzzwords I've ever heard: the 7.3 inch Infinity Flex AMOLED display. <laughs> oh um. Carry yeah, on, though. Um, the dead mode that they gave was really nice. Out the the main issue that I found with all the other foldable phone demos that I got is that Android just didn't work right. It didn't like all these screens are resizing. They're jumping in and out while they're while you're transitioning from one yep. sort of aspect ratio to another. It looks smooth, and you know, c- continuous. It um, does. When you know they were transitioning from the closed mode, which which still has a screen on it, and it does fold. So uh, you saw the um, the Flex Pi uh, at CES, and we might have talked about it on the show, but it folds um, outward. So the screens on the outside when you unfold it, right, mm-hmm. and then the the phone folds like this. So the two screens are still outside, and there's this huge gap in the middle. So they went the other way. So the, it's actually closing like a book, um, but on the outside when you close the phone, you still get a, a, a small screen that you can do like basic things with. But if you want to interact with it more, you just open it up. Um, so it does float full flat. There's no gap in the middle, not the gap, a gap that I didn't see. Um, um, no, it's and it, it's like it's impressive, like yeah, in terms it, of it, what yeah. it is, especially if it works as advertised, because. Um, this is one of the first Android devices capable of running three apps at the same time. It has a continuity feature which can move. So like the way it works is you have one screen which is the full screen application and then you have two uh, split mode Android screens. And you can have this continuity mode where you can drag a screen in and it will essentially swap the full size screen for one of the smaller ones if you need it to be bigger for a certain task. Um, and it looks great doing it too. Like it's smooth, like you said, and it's something that's yeah. very, it's seamless, especially when you're opening it as well. Like they had the example where, um, you you can see a status on Facebook and then you flip it open and you can see the comments and all everything with the post in context to what's going on from that outer display. 
Yeah, the Google Maps demo was smooth too. They had the smallest Google Maps screen on that side. Maybe you're looking up a restaurant, or whatever. It's like, oh, I want to get a closer look. Let's open it up, and then it just automatically just shows the full screen, like the bigger screen Google Maps, so with yep. showing you more information. Um, it does have, you know, all the the craziest, the, the greatest hardware that we uh, know for Android phones as of now. The Samsung A55 has 12 gigabytes of RAM. It's almost. Okay. It's more than my work computer. <laughs> And uh, 512 gigabytes of storage. It does have a pretty good uh, sizable battery, 4380 milliamp hours. Um, and it's split. Each side of the phone has a battery in it. Nice. Um, um, and it has uh, uh, dual front cameras and three rear cameras, pretty much the same that we'll talk about in the other Galaxy phones. Um, and um, the price tag is there's also a there's also on the outside a single 10 megapixel sensor to make sure that you have a selfie shooter for, oh, the, right. for the front so cover what orientation you have the phone in it has uh, a camera there's a camera for you so that is six cameras on a smartphone ladies and gentlemen the numbers keep climbing i thought five was crazy but samsung is really pushing i was gonna say pushing the envelope but now i want to say uh pushing the fold a little bit with how much would you pay for all those cameras, Matt? They said it couldn't be done. <laughs> they were wrong. Uh, so it, it is actually launching. So it'll be out on April 26th with a, a price tag of $1,980. I'll pay a lot of money for that. No, I'm not going to pay for that. That's so, it's so expensive. I say that this is just first gen, although the demo looked nice. I don't know what the mechanism of the folding is. I'm assuming it's a plastic screen because you can't make glass bendable. Yeah. Last time I checked, physics doesn't allow that. So, <laughs> Unless they superheat the glass every time you fold, which in that case, I really hope that you're not touching it when that happens. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there hasn't been any hands-on demos uh, posted on YouTube because Samsung is being very hush-hush. Uh, about it um, up until I think release, so we won't see that. Um, but I, I really think it's a plastic, plastic screen. Yeah, uh, which which worries me, right? Because if you're a plastic screen, things gonna scratch easily. And yep, um, I would yeah. love to see. Um, I would love to see that uh, Jerry rig everything. Get a hold of that on YouTube. Do a teardown. See how durable it really is. But um, so uh, I, I wonder if you would have to invent a new bend test for it because. <laughs> <laughs> it folds already. One of the features is to bend. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, so you could essentially just buy two S10s and just tape them together, and then you have a Galaxy Fold. You could, you could do that. Yeah, because they're, those two S10s run nine hundred dollars a piece, which is if you combine that cost, cheaper than the nearly two thousand dollars that you're paying for this. Um, so it's first gen of a flagship you know, first foldable smartphone, real viable, I think, option. I don't know if this is the feature, but people are, our companies are testing out the waters. Um, I don't think we'll see a huge adoption with that price tag, but um, it'll, it's a really cool phone. You know, all the tech uh, in there. And I think uh, we're due sort of for a, um, a rewrite of the smartphone definition of what it means to be have a smartphone. Because we've been in that black slab kind of, era for a long time so yeah uh, people are, are uh testing out um new form factors so samsung's getting into the game yeah they 
from the looks of it, they did a pretty good job for the first one. We'll see uh, how it plays out for the next generation. If they cut the price in half, um, get in line with more of a, let's say the S11 phone won't even have a plus option. Maybe the plus version will, will only have the foldable option. Maybe that would be an interesting take on a larger phone. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the other phones. The, the actual phones that yeah. people will be buying. <laughs> yes, the ones that people are more likely to buy. Starting yeah. with the S10e. So that phone is in the same light as the iPhone XR is the cheaper option. Um, that being said, it's only cheaper in terms of its display, really. It's got the same Snapdragon and Exynos chips that the regular full devices are going to have. It has 128 gigabytes of expandable storage, Wi-Fi 6, um, same Snapdragon. It's, it's got a micro SD card slot, uh, which is good because unlike the other phones, the most this can go is 256. Um, so, well, like I said, the screen is the only real difference. You don't get that in-screen fingerprint scanner and you don't get the... Um, full infinite display um, but you still get a 5.8 inch full HD AMOLED display so it's not it's not a compromising display by any stretch of the imagination but at the same time it's not the same like beautiful infinity display that you're going to get through the the main flagship devices uh, to be honest from more majority of people this is more than fine oh yeah this is going to be a fantastic device for 90 percent of people who are going to be looking to upgrade their phones uh you also get a downgrade in terms of cameras so this doesn't have the triple camera display like the other phones that we're going to talk about it has the regular uh focus camera and also the new uh, ultra wide um which i love on again wish the iphone had it um yeah. ultra wide um uh, rear camera, uh, but you don't get the telephoto one that you get on the other phones that we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't get a depth sensor in the front, so you can't take portrait selfies. Yeah, that's not a huge deal, though. I don't know many people who do that all the time. So I don't think we're the demographic who takes <laughs> No, no. But any, for anybody who's looking for a solid upgrade from the S7, or the S6, even, um, or even, crap, even the S8, yeah. Like, that's a, this is a fantastic Android device for them. Yeah, um, and it's uh, starting at 750, uh, launches on March 8th. Yep. This whole event felt like an Apple event, just because of the quality of the products that they announced, and, like, the, the styling of their price engine, like, their pricing, and the, um, the like peripherals that they announced along with it. We'll get into that in a little bit. Like it just felt like, an, like they're trying to, to capture the, um, the people who are interested in Apple's style of products, but don't want to pay that premium. If that makes sense of going to Apple's ecosystem, um, because you have the, the cheaper option and then you have the more expensive options with the better screen, um, the better, st- the better sensors. Uh, but, it's, it's, it's honest, feel, Apple it felt, is Apple is their number one competitor. Yeah. Like all the other Android manufacturers are nothing compared yeah. to what Samsung puts out in terms of volume uh, for phones. Um, so yeah, so you can save a bit of money if you uh, want an S10, but you don't want, right? But you don't need any of the fancy bells and whistles that come with one of the bigger devices. But uh, and by bigger, I mean the other one isn't really even bigger. 
it's the same size, it's just got a bigger display um, and better cameras. But either way, like the the other two we can just briefly touch on. It's the same device essentially as the S10e, but you're getting that in-screen fingerprint scanner. So the fingerprint sensor was moved from the back of the device to the front of the device under the display. And the cool thing about Samsung's versus what we've seen before with in-screen fingerprint scanners is that it actually is using an ultrasonic fingerprint scanner instead of a light-emitting fingerprint scanner. I don't know if you had a chance to do, see any of that at work, yep. but um, the way that they would work before is they would shine a light through the AMOLED panel. And, like the 1 does. Yeah, and that's very jarring to people if you're laying in bed <laughs> and like trying to use your phone. Because you have this big bright light trying to capture your fingerprint, but this one, it can unlock your device before you even activate the display. So it's very very smooth and seamless. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw um, Apple bring back Touch ID in any way, shape, or form. Especially if they don't need a fingerprint scanner, it kind of is like a best of both worlds. They can have the security of a fingerprint option for people who don't necessarily want to use Face ID. Um, but they can move it over to, to, they can bring touch ID back, but just put it under the display and yeah. c they'll call it like touch ID plus or something to make it sound more fancy. But, um, but, but yeah, so also, you also get the benefits of it being faster than the light, um, sensing version mm -hmm. of it on the six feet, according to some people who tested it. Um, and it works under more conditions. So I, I know that, um, uh, those light sensing ones are a little finicky if your fingers are wet or whatever it might be. Or um, they showed like different scenarios that it might work. Um, so hopefully, you get you it gets you a more reliable uh, fingerprint sensor. Yeah, uh, it makes sense to be in the front because um, the the on the previous phone reaching on the back was kind of awkward. I had the uh, S8 phone very briefly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when I did, uh, it was quite uh, in a bad uh, position um, on the back because, you know, the phone's already big um, and you have to kind of jimmy your hands up to there and, and get to reach it. It's just a convenient, convenient spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so these models, you still get the Snapchat in A55, Wi-Fi 6. Um, they get 8 gigabytes of RAM instead of the 6 that you get on the uh, 10E. Yeah, you get uh, you get more if you get the ten plus, like the top of the line option. You do get like they're the very top of the line for the ten plus. I believe is a one terabyte, um, option for I don't know why anyone would need that, but you also get twelve gigabytes of RAM, just like the fold. So you get ten one terabyte space, but they still have the SD card. So right now the biggest micro SD card you can buy is five twelve gigs. So you can have one and a half terabytes storage. <laughs> that's insane. Potentially on your phone. Yeah, that's <laughs> insane. That's so crazy. Well, what, what you put okay, you put your entire music library that for whatever reason you still store locally. You don't have a streaming service like everyone else on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Then you could put um then you could put all of your photos you own on your I've ever taken on your device. Just as reference, I have taken a lot of photos of professional cameras that take raw files. If I add it up, I can look on my NAS right now, but if I added up all of those photos, 
it's right now about 325 gigabytes. <laughs> and then in context, that's about 45,000 pictures with raw files included uh, since the year 2013, since I taking, started taking raw, raw uh, pictures with a professional camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's only, what, three, you said 300 gigabytes. So, so you could store all the pictures from your entire life yes on here if you every were a 27 year old man has ever taken yes every single photo and that's if you were taking photos at the same rate for your entire life right so you'd have you could probably store around 200,000 photos <laughs> give or take on this device if you really wanted to um and then you'd probably still have some room left over to download some Netflix stuff for your flight. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know why anyone would need that much storage. That's a bit obscene. But um, And also the fact that it has micro SD card. But it's cool because they're not compromising. And the, as a headphone jack, speaking of not compromising, the last flagship that still features a headphone jack. Um, and I believe all of their devices today featured headphone jacks. Um, but... I'm just like I'm. I'm curious to see what the Note does. Like a lot of people see these, they're like like the, the Samsung event. They're like, oh, okay, cool. But what about the Note though? Because like the Note is the one that's the popular Samsung device that a lot of people like. A lot of the power users enjoy. Um, but yeah, so I'm. One thing we didn't talk cool. about is the cutout uh, front-facing camera, right? Yeah. No notch. Yeah. They no st- notch. So all of these phones don't have a notch. So. Samsung can officially say they have never made a phone without a no- with a notch. Yeah, they just do a hole punch. A hole punch. Infinity O AMOLED. <laughs> Speaking of buzzword names. Yeah. Infinity O AMOLED display. Um, so you, now you got a hole punch display. So um, I actually yeah. like this better than a notch. Yeah, um, I think it, it, it works. Um, it hides up in the corner and it works. You know, the UI, you know, goes around it. Um, and they integrated not just the camera, but all the you know the sensors in front, the ambient light sensor, the sensor that detects if it, you're holding it next to your face uh, when you're on the phone. All of those sensors around the there as well. Uh, so they jammed a lot uh, of stuff in there, and now they you get pretty much edge to edge screen. Um, I think I heard uh, uh, the uh, percentage of ninety percent um, for screen to body ratio pretty high it's very um, nice yeah um so and then on top of that these, they, these phones look nice yeah they has been doing really good hardware um um and all i think they are turning around their software too i saw a couple of reviews of their new version of their samsung skin it's called like called one os or something one, one ui I one think. ui yeah now it looks nice like it's better than TouchWiz. Yeah, they've they've done a lot of improvements, um, uh, so I, I've heard a lot of praises um, on their software experience as well, not just hardware. Yeah, now I'm excited to see what this phone line does and uh, what the reviewers think of it when they finally get a hold of it. And I'd love to like just go to a store and check one of these out just to see it. I, I think these phones will will sell really well. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I'm curious to see what their numbers are going to be by the end of this year, their earnings versus whatever apples are so android's starting to really catch up to ios so 
it'll be interesting to see as uh, we get closer towards the the phone season at the end of summer and see like what. Oh, yeah. One one last thing yeah. that uh, I saw. Um, you can finally remap the stupid big zoom button to open. Oh yeah. Want. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. That's <laughs> so. Ex- I'm so happy. Finally, remap that stupid button. Yeah. I'm so happy. Oh, and one other thing, uh, Artem. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name from Android Police. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Yes, <laughs> the creator of Android Police. Um, he uh, mentioned one of his favorite features that he got to play around with his new phones. Um, they have a, a, I call they uh, Samsung call it calls it routines. Um, I would say it's serious shortcuts for for Samsung devices. Um, and it's pretty much he described as described it as if this then that built directly into the phone where you can directly interact with stuff that happens on the phone. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah. So and it literally says if and then you put the action or the app or whatever you want and then it says then and then you define what then does right. So that's nice. Uh, one of the examples that he had was uh, if you open up, I think he said Chrome. Um, it disables auto rotate. So if you're reading a Chrome, if you open Chrome, let's say you're laying in bed and your phone's off to the side, your phone will automatically rotate. Like that's one of the, the things he programmed in that's there. That's nice, right? So that you get really nitty gritty, and since it's built by Samsung, you can build, you can get like to the hardware pretty much and into the OS and do whatever Samsung will let you. But um, get more granular than like a third party app will allow because I like you know, that a third party app won't be allowed to you know control those type of uh, deep level things like auto rotate settings um so it's kind of cool you can I don't know how many people will actually use it uh, you know it's a very um uh pro level user type of feature but if you wanted to get um that level of detail in terms of programming routines within your phone now you can and I don't know if they're bringing that down to other phones like the previous generation because it's just software, right? But mm-hmm. um, and also I don't know if they're doing the Bixby button thing either on on older phones or if it's exclusive to the S10. It's probably exclusive. <laughs> it's probably exclusive. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, it's a it's a cool <laughs> device. Uh, I'll be excited to see. Sorry, I'm like yawning, but it's I'm excited to see what. Uh, this actually like with I want to see the reviews for this. I'm I'm looking forward to that a lot. And these devices are available like today, right? Uh, I think you can pre-order them to not not probably not today, but they had a couple stores in like New York and Houston oh, right. and stuff. Of stores that you can get. Um, you can go buy them now. If if you aren't near those stores, you can get them March. 8th. Um, okay. And then so, they also talked about the Galaxy Buds as well. Yeah, um, AirPods slash Pixel competitor, um, and they showed continuity so that like if you have a Samsung tablet, I don't know why you would, but if you do, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you get a f- phone call on your phone, you can pick it up. If you, and you're watching something already on your tablet, you can pick it the phone call up uh, on your tablet instead of your phone. Um, Interesting. Kind of cool, but Apple's been doing it for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, it's like, like I said, I don't know too many people who have a Galaxy Tab or need a or have a reason to get one that are in U.S. markets. Yeah. So, 
But now you can also charge your Galaxy Buds through your new S10 if you got one of those phones. And the it, watch, too. Yeah, yeah, and the watch, too, because all the uh, new phones do reverse wireless charging. Um, so you, if you have a phone that has a, a full enough charge and you want to let your friend wireless charge off of you, sip some, sip some juice, um, you can let them, or you can charge your other devices. I'm curious what the uh, the wattage is on it. If you, yeah, if you get a normal charge or if it's like a reduced. Yeah, so it's been mixed on Twitter. I've saw some updates from MKBHD and 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 people like that. Um, I think it's um, uh, four and a half watts, which is slower than. Um, so in the regular like a uh, uh, normal wall outlet, you get like a fi- like a normal USB port. Like if you just plug your phone into a USB port, you get five watts. Um, and um, this is four and a half. Uh, the fast charging for Samsung is ten watts. If you just put on a regular fast charger, just in comparison, and the iPhone uh, at its max start charges at a seven point five watts. So hmm. it's slower. But also, it's it's mixed because some of the documentation that Samsung put out state 7.5 watts, and and people uh, who actually have the phone in hand are reporting 4.5. So I don't. It's we'll see what that final number is, but yeah, remains to be seen. Yeah, but um, yeah. So that's pretty much it for the Samsung event. The new wearable devices. The the watch is cool because it's the first fitness smartwatch that includes blood pressuring, blood pressure monitoring features, stress tracker, um, workout detection, all that fancy stuff. It's not the first, but you get the idea. It's a nicer, slimmer version of what they did before, and they've always made some of the better uh, Android Wear watches, even though it's not even Android Wear. They do their own thing, right? Uh yeah, Tizen. yeah, yeah, they do their own, yeah, uh, which is better than Android Wear, <laughs> so you know it's, it's neither yeah. here nor there. Um, but yeah, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, there's not a really a whole lot left unless you wanted to talk about something else. Um, I think that's it. So yeah. Um, yep. So just to all of our listeners, thank you again for bearing with us in this process as we begin to find ourselves, um, and keep an eye out on Twitter, keep an eye out on, uh, my Twitter as well. I also have been a little more active on mine, um, for any news and updates around the podcast, nothing will be changing in the immediate future, but, um, 2019 like we're saying is going to be a big year for the podcast so get excited for that um if you are new and are checking us out on any of our live streams um you can check us out on any number of podcasting platforms we uh, make our best attempt to stream once a week and cover the latest news for that week in technology so check us out on literally any app you can download a podcast onto and listen um, you can find us on just for example, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, um, Pocket Cast, Overcast, anywhere. Um, so go for it. Find us, listen to us. We have a nice backlog of really good topics that we've talked about. Um, and there will be plenty more where that came from. So if you want to watch us live, we stream 
every episode to Twitch and YouTube. So feel free to check us out there. Hopefully we don't get any copyright strikes. Uh, we'll see where that goes. But um, yeah, with that being said, this has been episode 85 and we'll see you guys in the next one. Bye.